Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a podcast for women who are chasing epic and everyday adventures on their bikes. We are a production of Live Feisty Media and hosted by Christy Moan and Katherine Taylor. Hey, Christy, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Catherine? I'm doing great. I am. It's great weather here in Atlanta. So I'm really just enjoying having some perfect spring weather and being able to still get outside, even though I'm getting outside by myself with my dog. (laughs) (laughs) How far, like you, you don't live near gravel, right? So you're basically on pavement when you go out and ride. Well, there's a five mile gravel trail really close to me called the Atlanta Beltline that they haven't paved mm-hmm. yet. Uh, so I ride that sometimes, but it's, it's pretty crowded and flat, but it's about 25 minutes to the closest gravel route. So nice. Yeah. That's not too bad. Yeah. It's not, I rode it last weekend for the first time. Like I was, uh, I just felt comfortable getting back out and getting on it and mm-hmm. it was lovely. There was hardly anybody there. So it was really nice. I actually did a, a nice. Instagram group ride. Uh, just a story. It was fun. People were like, oh, I'm on your group ride. <laughs> oh uh, my gosh. That's a great idea. You're coming up with the most creative ways to work through COVID and still maintain community. It's fun to watch. Because sure. I'm in this house by myself with my dog all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just all the ideas. Oh yeah. I hear you. <laughs> Um, well, I was thinking about this cause we're still kind of getting to know each other Sure. and you've done a lot of adventurous stuff in your life and I've been thinking about adventures cause I have. I'm again, stuck in the house with um, my dog all the time. What's one of your favorite adventurous things you've done either on your bike or with your body or that sounds weird, but you know, like a physical <laughs> and an exploration yeah. adventure. You know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have several big adventures, um, that I've said yes to. Um, but if I have to pick probably the biggest, it would, it would be the trip to Laos to ride on the Ho Chi Minh trail. 
um, you did that? Did you do it with of, Rebecca Rush? I did that. Oh my God. Yeah. We, I went over with the initial group in 2016 that she took the first group she took back over MTV Lau, um, the OG group, um, that went over and, and rode part of the, the Ho Chi Minh trail with, with her and the guides that were in the blood road movie, which if you haven't seen blood road, um, that's a great way to spend some COVID moments. Oh my gosh. Um, I so highly suggest good. checking that. So good. It's so good. Yeah. Yep. And that was challenging on many, many levels. I didn't even own a mountain bike before we went over there. Um, I broke my wrist the very beginning of the second day. And so rode with a broken wrist for the whole entire trip. Um, and didn't really have the skill set to be there, but, um, but worked my way through it. And it was a great group. Um, of course, you know, Rebecca is an amazing mentor and teacher. So that was, um, pretty powerful. And her husband, Greg is just, um, the most supportive guy on the planet. Um, he's, you know, not talked about too much, but he's a huge support and an amazing athlete in and amongst himself. So it was a great trip. It was very, very eye opening. Um, it was very difficult. Um, and just really life-changing. So that was my, definitely my biggest adventure. What about you? That's crazy. Um, mine wasn't necessarily on the, well, it wasn't on the bike. I, uh, got into running with this group called Rogue Expeditions a few years ago, and they Mm -hmm. do adventure trips all over the world. And I did a trip with them to Ireland, which was so fun. And they don't go to like your normal you know, here's where the trail where all the tourists go. They find these out of the way places. They call it unforgettable adventure running experiences. And they really are. And they are, there are some things where you're (laughs) climbing up the side of a mountain in Ireland and you're like, wow, I never thought I'd be doing this, but you don't see another person because, you know, this isn't where the tourists go. And just exploring, I think I realized then my love of going on trips where I get to explore the hidden places of place of, you know, different locations, uh, just with my feet or with a bike or things like that, rather than going, like I could care less about any museum on the planet. I think Yeah, (laughs) going to that, like, I just love those hidden places that you get to find that you can't get to by a car. So yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the most true statement. Like I, I've said before, um, the bike has been the best way for me to explore the world. Um, and I, I mean, I love it. And I, I love how you get to connect with the earth and the people so much more closely when you're doing it self-powered, whether it's on foot or on, on two wheels or whatever that looks like. I think you really get to see the inside of a country that you don't typically get to see when you're on a bus or in a car. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And then you can drink a lot more beer or whiskey. <laughs> you, you burned it. You burned a lot of calories running. It was, a, it was 60 miles of running in six days. It was a lot of running. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all trail running. That's amazing. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Wow. It's yeah. crazy to talk about because of who we've got today on our show. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited about this guest. Uh, so Uh, It was one of the people when I started the podcast, I was like, this is somebody I want to have on the podcast. I heard her speak in Atlanta uh, when she came through talking about her film and you are actually friends with her in real life, correct? Um, I do know Lael and Rue personally. Yep. Yeah. So 
So we have Lael Wilcox and Rue, you got to say your last name because I'm sorry, LaRue, I still can't say your last name. Kaladite. <laughs> I'm really bad with names. <laughs> it's a tricky one. And Rue's so sweet. Like she doesn't really care if you mispronounce it, but, but uh, yeah, it's a tricky one to say for sure. Yeah. And I also really wish we had the video of this show because in the middle of the podcast, we're, we do this, we have video going, my cat jumps up on the screen and like is walking across my screen and you just see like this little smile on Rue's face. Like she could see it, but she's being very professional and not like mentioning the cats just walking across the screen. Um, it was fun. Yeah. Sure. But they're both so fun. Just hearing about Lael's adventures, hearing about how Rue documents them and just even asking her about the process of telling stories. It was really fun to hear from them. So let's go ahead and listen to this podcast episode. Let's do it. All right. Well, we are here with the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, and we are super excited to have um, adventurers, Lael Wilcox and Rue, Rue Caldente, I hope I said that right, joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, Happy you. to be talking with you. Yeah. So tell us uh, what you're up to, because you're usually roaming the world. And uh, you're nobody is right now. So what's happening? What's life like for you right now? Yeah, totally. We had all these trips and plans and canceled all of them. So we're still in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, we plan to go back to my home state in Alaska, uh, but with limited travel, we've just decided to stay here, and it's been great. Just going out for day rides and hikes and spending time outside. So we're really grateful for that. And then you know, talking to people virtually. What could be more fun? <laughs> what, uh, what were some of the big adventures that you guys had to put on hold that you had coming up? Yeah, we were going to go back to Anchorage to host my girls' mentorship writing program, Anchorage Grit. Uh, this would be the fourth year of the program. We go from April through mid-May uh, to build up to a big adventure ride with 12 and 13-year-olds. So that was uh, the kind of primary thing we were doing. And then along the way, we were going to go to the London Bike Show and Sea Otter. And we had three friends' weddings. And so everything got kind of mixed. But we're still here. Um, and then, you know what? The cool thing is everything can just happen later. So nothing is super grave. It's just, okay, not now. Maybe in seven months, grit. Maybe we'll do a reunion ride in the summer if we can. And then we'll work with the same girls next April instead. Um, instead of seventh grade, they'll be in eighth grade. So, you know, it's, it's not too bad. It's just kind of changing the timeline, but all good. Yeah. So, well, I think a lot of people are very familiar with you and that you ride your bike a lot and have adventures. But, Rue, tell us what you do. And also, do you ride as much as Lael? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a professional photojournalist and I have a background in newspaper work, um, but recently I've been more on the freelance side and um, for the most part, for the past couple of years, I've accompanied uh, Lail on her adventures and documented stories along the way. Um, I do bike, not as much as Lail, uh, but yeah, I really enjoy it. Really, really enjoy it. Are you documenting any of life with COVID-19 and what that's like? Are you thinking about how to tell that story? Or are you like, uh, we're all over that story? <laughs> uh, 
you know, I think we're just using this time to kind of refresh. We just came back from a big project in Columbia with Conservation International and bikepacking.com. So actually we're running around a lot before this. So right now we're using this time to edit work and kind of restart and just plan. So storytelling for this, um, not so much. We've just been rollerblading and doing short day rides. So unless people want to see rollerblading videos, which I hear there's a huge demand for, uh, I may have to start taking that up, but not so much. Right? Yeah, but mostly just catching up with other projects. Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is Rue goes in and shoots something in, you know, a couple of weeks and then it's five months to edit a piece. So we're fortunate that we were able to do this Columbia project before yeah. uh, travel got limited and the spread happened. So then she can use this time to make that video. So Absolutely. that's good. Yeah. But as so far Rue, as do you, oh, oh go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say, I was going to say, Rue, do you let Lael touch any of the technology? Oh my God. Uh, she wore a backpack in Columbia. So she was carrying the drone, the tripod, the stabilizer. So it was, <laughs> Awesome. So if by touch you mean be a mule, <laughs> that works. It's amazing the stuff you need to carry yeah. to make a quality video. I mean, and then this is like not a huge production. This is just us on our bikes carrying gear. Mm -hmm. But Rue had two cameras and three or four lenses, and that stuff is so heavy for bike packing. It's like, oh. Right, we didn't have a vehicle. We were just touring this. We didn't even out. bring a stove to cook food. Oh my God. <laughs> like, we got to save the weight for the camera. <laughs> so we're eating like uh, candy bars and then carrying a drone around. <laughs> but that's, you know, priorities. <laughs> that's hilarious. So tell us what you were filming in Columbia. You said it was a, a conservation project. What can we get a sneak peek of what it's going to be? Yeah, uh, so we teamed up with Conservation International and Bikepacking.com to essentially create a new bikepacking route uh, that starts and ends in Bogota, the capital city of 8 million people, to highlight conservation corridors around the area. So um, there's this cloud forest that exists above uh, the city, and it's these plants called the Paramos, or it's the ecosystems called the Paramos. And they help filter water from the clouds and the water filters down to the cities and it's responsible for 80% of the drinking water for eight million. Wow. Um, so it's this really kind of alien looking exotic place, but it's like an hour away from the city. Right. So the idea was to make a route to go from this urban space into, mm -hmm. you know, this huge forest. And so people could see where their water's coming from and then ride through that as like an adventure bike ride. So the full route will be 262 miles and 36,000 feet of climbing. Mm -hmm. Columbia is- Holy east. mackerel. It's just <laughs> steep. The, anywhere you go, it's just mountains and forests and, uh, but really fantastically beautiful. I mean, most of the route is above 10,000 feet, but it's humid there. It's just a different environment. It's, it's high and humid and really alive. So you see these crazy plants and then they just capture the water and then that filters into reservoirs and becomes the drinking water. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing there too is Columbia, they don't, most of the people in the city don't really leave. So this is kind of like encouraging people to go out, connect with nature and kind of see what their land really has to offer. Yeah. Um, so 
for us, it was really cool because we just got to go and scout this route and it was our first time in South America. So we learned a lot and uh, got really involved with kind of the land and I've never done conservation work, but we got to visit sites and that's kind of the idea is by riding this route, you'll see the land and then you'll start learning what conservation looks like on the ground. And cycling is huge in Colombia. Like it's absolutely like enormous. Every Sunday for the past 40 years, uh, the city of Bogota will close 70 miles of public roads to vehicle traffic. So no cars are allowed for, you know, most of the morning and then mm -hmm. bikes just occupy the streets. Yeah, everybody rides. Right. Like all ages, sizes. That's they just awesome. Take over the streets. Uh, so for us, did, that was super cool to see. How did you guys create this route? Like what, what, what went into creating this adventure? Like, so there was the Logan from bikepacking.com was responsible to, from a distance, uh, kind of track the route and do all the research with maps. And then the way it came was like Conservation International inputted where they wanted it to kind of like dots on the map, they wanted it to go through. And then Logan connected the dots via the best dirt roads he could find. And then it was like, well, is that actually going to work? And then you see right. how much climbing there is. And you're like, can we reduce the climbing at all? Answer is not really. <laughs> it's just how it is. So then we get out there and we're like, okay, now we got to go verify the route, make sure all these roads are good. And for the most part, they were. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a few hitches, but we had to kind of track and, and just see, is this a good road to ride? It's, I mean, it's gravel. It's just steep gravel. Like through our scouting mission for the two weeks we were out there, Rue burned through a fresh set of brake pads. When I went back out to ride the route in one go, I burned through brake pads in like two days, just because you're going down so steep. Uh, but it is gravel still, it's just, it's just rugged, mm -hmm. but really beautiful. And then the idea was to make the route something you could tour in a week. You could ride it faster, you could ride it slower, but then if you just want to go to Colombia and like check it out and see what this is about, then you set a week aside, fly in, start from the capital, and then loop back, and that's it. Yeah, so then the film will incorporate uh, what it takes to build a route, route building with Logan Watts oh, cool. and bikepacking.com, the adventure ride, so scouting what we see. Uh, Lil did an FKT, fastest known time, uh, right before we departed, story of conservation and the cycling community in right. Colombia. So it's kind of, you know, interlaced uh, stories in there, but that's going to be released in October. So the route, yeah. um, the film, and then Lil will be hosting a couple of scholarships as well. Yeah, so my idea is to have, I've done scholarships in the past. Uh, so the idea is to have uh, scholarships to supply all the equipment that you'd need to successfully go ride this route in a travel stipend. So one will be for an international woman and then the other will be for a local Colombian rider. Uh, so it's like That's they'll have awesome. specialized hardtail, Revelate bikepacking bags, Big Agnes tent, Wahoo, uh, computer. Wahoo computer for navigation, base, Pearl Izumi rain gear because it rains a lot there. <laughs> uh, but they'll have everything they need to take on this route and then just go ride it. Yeah. And then document it somehow. Do they have to carry the camera equipment? <laughs> they could just carry a phone. <laughs> no drone. <laughs> Sponsored uh, by Snickers. Yeah, exactly. We'll get them in the loop. <laughs> and then you're also talking about a group start. Oh yeah, and then the other thing we want to do is so we want to go back to Bogota in October to premiere the video, the route with guides, and the scholarship, and then come back 
to Bogota in January or February 2021 and host a group start. So invite like 100 riders to start in Bogota on the same day, not really as a race, but just as like a, a, a way to kind of kick off the route, get everybody together, ride your own pace, make friends, break into small groups, uh, and then just have kind of a feeling behind it. Mm -hmm. I did a similar one for the Baja Divide in 2017, and it was so cool just to see people kind of mix it up and share their adventures with each other in a setting that's not competitive. I mean, sure, you could go ride it as fast as you want, but you could also sleep along the way, you know, sit down and eat meals, talk with people. I don't know that, that too. That's so cool. So I'm curious, I mean, for both of you, because you both do things that are really adventurous, like where did that come from? Like, how did you get the confidence to go out and say, I think I'm going to like ride my bike and sleep along the way and just like, was it something that was always in you? Did you just do your first one and you were like, I got the bug, you know? Yeah. Uh, I didn't really start riding till I was 20 and I got a bike. I was going to college, uh, at the university of Puget sound. I got a bike to go to a job at a brewery. I was a waitress and it was four miles away and I used to just walk everywhere. And then that was too far. So I borrowed a bike and started riding to work and then started riding all over town. And, uh, that spring uh, rode to visit my sister in Seattle. She was living there. It was like 45 miles. And um, I was like, well, if I could ride to Seattle to see her, I could ride across the country. So then like the next fall I did that. I was like, I could just imagine every day you just keep riding, you sleep somewhere. You don't really know where you're going to stay. But I just thought that that life would be so cool. Um, So I did that when I was, I think, 21. And then that trip, actually went down the east coast it was uh montreal to key west florida and that's like the end of the road farthest south and i was out of money so i was like well i guess i gotta get a job and so i got a job as a waitress there pedicab driver the bicycle taxi saved money for two or three months and then started riding across the south uh, from florida to uh, california and so then i just started this pattern of like working to save money to go ride somewhere different. And this took me all over the world eventually, just like thinking of imagining places to go. And then uh, while I was touring like this, I entered my first race uh, with just my touring gear. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm here while the race is happening. This is a really cool place to ride. I just want to see what happens. It was an 850 mile mountain bike ride. Uh, and then I was just did great. By the end of the first day, I was winning the whole race. I was the only woman and I was in first and I had sneakers and platform pedals and a junkie bike. And uh, everybody was like, how is she doing that? It's just cause I just kept going, you know, and then I'd sleep for three hours and then keep going. And, and then I was like, wow, this is really, really fun. So that's, that started for me about five years ago. And then I've just been mixing it up, um, touring and racing and, you know, then you get an idea for a girls program or a scholarship or another place you can make around. It's like, well, let's just do it. And then I'm so fortunate to have Rue along because before that I was just doing this, but if you don't document it, nobody knows. It's like it never happened. So then Rue's here and she's like sharing these stories, taking beautiful photos, making videos, and then people can see that and be inspired by that. And uh, it's so much, so much better. It's just uh, so much cooler and it's also way better to have her here. Uh, but yeah, that's my kind of my story. And then 
Rue, you should tell your story. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I didn't have a car growing up, so then I would just bike everywhere, and it was just, you know, road bike, and in college, I raced Criterions, and when I worked for the newspaper in Alaska, I had pitched a story about Anchorage Grit. It was the first year of it, Lil's mentorship program. And I got to know Lil over the course of six weeks and uh, she kept asking me to hang out, but I couldn't hang out until after the assignment was published. And I just spent the summer riding with her and her friends. And that was the first time I strapped um, bags to the bike. And Lil took me on my first bike packing trip, which was in Denali National Park. So that's like, you're only going to go downhill from there. That's like, yeah, I was going to say, you're just going big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we took like the best ride you could go on. Yeah. <laughs> and we took, um, it's, it's like this 80 mile road, 92, 92 mile road. That's close to vehicle traffic past mile 15. And it's just like tour buses and, but you could hike and you could bike it. So we ended up taking a bus. Uh, we want, Lil was doing this project, riding all the roads in Alaska, her home state. And I think she had done 4,000 miles in the summer of 2017. And she had to do the Denali Park Road and invited me to come along. And we decided to take a bus to the very end of 92 miles. And uh, when we we're booking the bus, they're like, you know, it's going to be like an eight hour bus ride or something ridiculous. <laughs> so long. Because yeah. it's all tourists on the bus and stop for wildlife. And we just, which is nice. Which is really nice. But we hopped off and, uh, you just rode back to the main road, and that was my first bikepacking trip. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. We saw like three male moose just walking down the middle of the road at midnight when it's still light out, and yeah. it was just a really cool experience. So maybe I got the bug from that. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would just do that as their first trip? Oh yeah, let's just ride Denali National Park with a bunch of grizzly bears. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. We actually slept. We were like, oh, we'll just ride all through the night because it never gets dark. And then we started getting tired, I think around two in the morning and we slept near Polychrome Pass and I couldn't tell Rue, but I've definitely seen grizzly bears there in the past. Yeah. That's not something you tell. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, nobody would ever sleep then. Uh, but it's so beautiful. So everybody should go ride Alaska. It's the best. <laughs> How do you, do you have, ever have fear of being a woman doing some of the things you do alone or like, how have you gotten over that? Or is there anything you do generally for your safety besides maybe taking a film crew with you? I think, you know, the, the real barrier is kind of hearing people say you should be afraid. They're like, aren't you afraid? You're doing this alone. You're a woman. I'm like, well, are you doing it? I don't know. It's like, I think everybody's afraid, but then they try to like pick on the one thing that they think you're, will make you more vulnerable. Like you're a woman or you're too small or whatever. You know, I think everybody's scared, but then they try to tell you that there's this one, that this specific thing about you is putting you more at risk, which I think is not true. You know, I think however you go, it's, it's going to be, uh, there are risks involved and there are things that could go wrong, but you know, I've kind of stopped believing that. I guess the more writing I've done, the more experiences I've had, I'm like, well, I, I know myself, I know what I can do and you know, I'll take on those risks and I'll deal with what comes up. But I, I generally think like as far as safety against people, it's like most people are actually really good. 
they just want to help. They're curious about what you're doing. They want to, mm -hmm. they want to help you. They want to invite you into their homes. They want you to stay with them. They want to give you something to eat. You know, if you're having a problem, they'll stop and, and try to help you. I've never actually had a negative experience where I was like, Oh my God, this is a bad person. You know, I have like sometimes feelings like gut feelings, like, Oh, I should get out of here. And then I just do, you know, I think you have to kind of listen to that, but otherwise trusting people uh, and, and trusting them with open eyes, you know, it's like, see how they're acting. If they're being weird, get out of there, you know, or you, you got to kind of make judgments along the way, but generally I, I don't feel afraid. Okay. What do you think, Rue? Uh, I'm just thinking about my experience is a lot more limited, of course, but I was thinking that um, last summer we were touring together in Kurdistan. There's this um, bike race, the Silk Road mountain race, thousand miles, and we saw the opportunity to go to Central Asia beforehand to just experience the culture, and we thought, well, when would we ever be back in Kurdistan? You know, we want to make a month out of it instead of just racing for a week and then leaving. So there's a lot of concern about going there. It's like, well, it's, it's Kyrgyzstan, right? It's kind of the unknown, it's nomadic, it's, you know, is it dangerous? But we felt like we were, people were like looking out for us. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, traveling as a woman, we found that um, we'd approach a town and we'd go to store and resupply and then we'd be eating ice cream outside. And then like a drunk guy would approach us and the woman would run out of the stores and like shoot him away, mm -hmm. you know? So it was, I mean, then we heard later that some guys that were racing that same race were almost kind of being harassed by people in town and Lyle never experienced that. I think people were protective of us. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I'm like, thanks for that. I don't want to <laughs> hang out with the drunk guy. <laughs> Get him out of here. <laughs> that's true. That was that's, just that's nice. It was yeah. very unexpected. And I mean, of course it's not going to be the same country to country. Um, but that was just a really pleasant surprise. So right. it's kind of, you know, just, uh, yeah, you can't let that really stop you. And like you said, if there's a bad situation, you just feel it out and you mm -hmm. get out of there if you can. Yeah, but I don't think that's a good reason to not go on a bike adventure. Yeah. Try it out, see how it feels. Don't go way out of your comfort zone, but a little mm -hmm. bit's good, you know. You, you talked life. earlier, like speaking to that about you know, Rue joining and now being able to document this. So it, it, it takes the inspiration that you provide to a much larger platform. Can you, can you guys talk a little bit about, about that process and how, I mean, are you dreaming these ideas for grit up while you're on these long rides? What's, you know, when you find these sources of inspiration and how you translate that into activation basically. Yeah, absolutely. So the grit idea came, I was touring, uh, in Baja uh, with a friend of mine from Alaska, another woman, and we teamed up to do a kids cycling project. It was actually for my mom's class. She taught third grade and she realized like most of our students, it was low income. They didn't have bikes. She was like, oh, this is terrible. She, and then so she asked me, and she's like, is there any way we could get these kids bikes? I think of a class of 25, like eight of them had bikes, the rest didn't. And so then I asked my friend who volunteered at the local bike co-op, I was like, can we get these kids some bikes? And she's like, oh yeah, we could do that. Kids bikes are always the ones that are donated, like, you know, Walmart bikes or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we worked together to, and we asked some friends to help rebuild these bikes. And then we brought them to my mom's class, gave them the bikes. They had a little rodeo and they were so pumped and they got to keep them. 
So then I was asking her during this tour in Baja, I was like, do you want to do another project like that? Another kid's bike project? Cause it's so fun. Kids love bikes. She was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, but I, I want to do it for girls. And I think older, like middle school or high school. So then just on the ride, we started like, well, what would we do? What's the point? You know, you don't want to just give them bikes. You want to like build up to something. And I really wanted to work with middle school because I remember being that age, 12 and 13, and thinking, I really want to take on a challenge. I want to do something big. I want to like, you just have so much motivation and energy. You're like, you're not a little kid anymore. You're growing up. You want to be your own person. So we focused on that. And then we started with the final goals, like let's ride from town out to the wilderness. Let's camp out. Let's bring them out there because kids in Anchorage, they don't really leave town, but they're surrounded by beautiful mountains and wilderness. And so we set that as the goal and then work backwards. We're like, well, how would you build up to that? So then we started thinking, well, what's, what's the amount of time that we have available and would make them ready? So we start with like the end of their school year and then work backwards. Uh, so through this, we just started talking out the ideas and then I'm like, well, how do we do this? How do we find the girls? Do we work with schools? What are we going to do? And it seemed like the easiest way would be to make it an after school program. So I started writing principles in Anchorage from different middle schools. I wrote four principles, three low income, one optional, and then two wrote back. And I'm like, okay, we're going to work with those two schools. And then can they find staff that would help nominate girls? And, you know, and then you find all these things like, okay, how do we get bikes? So I wrote specialized and asked, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, I mean, fortunately, it's like anybody I told this idea to was like, well, I want to help. I want to make it happen. You know, and so yeah. super cool. You know, it's like you can't do it alone. That's always been a struggle for me, too, because it's like I'm very solo. And then I, you have to rely on other people. And you're like, OK, like kind of holding your breath. Is this going to work? And then it does. And it's like way more awesome than something I could do on my, by myself. It's just, uh, so that's, that's been like a new challenge for me is like working in kind of a bigger group setting. Cause I'm like, well, I just want to ride my bike by myself. I don't need any help. I could just do this. And then I'm like, well, I actually need a ton of help to do that, <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. You know, it's like something different. So I think the idea happens and then I'm like, I kind of obsess. I'm like, well, how can we actually make this happen? And then I get halfway into it. I'm like, man, this is way more work than I actually wanted to do. But you have to just see it through. Uh, great ideas are nothing if they don't happen. I mean, yeah. gosh, you can dream up all sorts of stuff and feel excited. And then it's just like, like, it's just air. You gotta, you gotta see it through. I don't know. But then having Rue there, she was there from the first year documenting and that was a huge help i mean she was with the newspaper at the time halfway through the first year all the bikes were stolen not all half the bikes were stolen from one of the schools and we were like i was like oh my god what are we gonna do now but rue was with the newspaper she put an article in the newspaper and my phone number was at the bottom within an hour like my phone was just ringing off the hook of all these people in the community that were like what can we do to help this is terrible can we donate bikes? Can we donate money? In a day, we had enough donations to rebuy all the stolen bikes. That's awesome. Yeah, so there is like media just helps everything move forward, both for inspiration and also just making things happen. And then there have mm -hmm. been other communities that have in some way or another replicated encouragement. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think there's one in Bellingham, right? Melbourne, is that right? Right. Yeah. Uh, one in Tucson. Another one, I think, in Arkansas, Ohio. I don't want to make a national program because I just don't have that scope. I just, I'm not an organizer. I'm a dreamer. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, well, you could take this model, do it in your own community. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of work, but we could be an example for that. So that's kind of the idea. Have you seen the inspiration from that, from those girls that did it four years ago? Are they still writing? Is, is, what's the outcome been from from that? Yeah, I mean, some of them are. Uh, I'm not in touch with all of them, but they'll pop up, you know, here and there, writing me a message. But one of them really took to it. Uh, her name's Alana, and she, she just, she, she was, she'd never written before. And, you know, as, as that's kind of a moody age, 12 and 13. It's like, you kind of look at them sometimes, you're like, are they even enjoying this? <laughs> They're just kind of grumbling or like, you know, just looking around. So I was like, I didn't even know if she was liking it, but she kept writing. She was always there. We were just always talking. And then uh, every year after that, she's kind of gone on like a huge bike adventure. And so I hosted a women's scholarship for Alaska the next year after that. And uh, I had like 200 applicants to get all the equipment you need to do a thousand mile bike adventure in Alaska. That was the idea of the scholarship. And so I'm, I'm reading through these applications and then I saw that she had applied and she was 14. She was like, I'm going to do the Alaska rides. I'm going to ride from Cantwell to Coldfoot and back and out and back. That would be a thousand miles. And I wrote like, I had this application process and it was like, well, what's your budget? What do you need to make this happen? And she wrote, I need $300 for gas money for my dad so he can follow me and make sure I'm safe. It's so then I'm like, oh, man. I and, I'm like and then she, Alana talks with the other, my other grit partner, Kate, and she's like, I don't think I'm going to get that scholarship because I spelled so many words wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, because of grammar, you're not going to get it. Anyway, I'm like, <laughs> this, and uh, I tell my mom, I'm like, mom, Alana applied. And she's like, well, I'll give her 300 bucks for her dad. And that was like, everybody's response was like, I'll give her my old bike. My friend Rita just sent her a bike. Bay Agnes sent her a tent. Everybody's like, let's, let's make it happen. She's going to do it. And then she did. You know, she did the whole thing. So there were three winners. That so the, that was supposed to have one winner, and then there were three winners. Because <laughs> sometimes you just like you can't drop it. You know, it's like okay, I can't see. see. And I, I would have the grammar would have counted in mine. I'd have been <laughs> like, like, oh man, you're out. You're <laughs> out. You used the wrong there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, so I watched the uh, video and we'll link it in the show notes because everybody needs a little inspiration right now Yes, about the program. But uh, one of the girls, and I can't remember her name, but she was really fun and really sassy. And she was like, somebody said I could do this, but I was like, I can do this. <laughs> um, and just had like this confidence in herself that I think probably came from the program and believing in herself. And um, she had it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that might also be a trait that Lael has. And we did, we have a Facebook group and we asked uh, on the Facebook group, like what questions they would have. And one I was also really interested in was just about your confidence to be um, 
as good as the guys, um, that you believe you can be the overall winner, um, not just the woman's winner. And, you know, kind of where did that come from? How did you build into that? Um, you know, how would you encourage other women to kind of own that and say, I'm not just going to be <laughs> the women's winner, but I'm going to go for it. And knowing also like the longer we go, the more, the better women are, um, right. it's been proven. So yeah, I guess I'm, there are a few things going into that. It's like my first race, I was winning. So I was like, okay, that's gives me a lot of confidence. And then I look at these distances, like the tour divide. I'm like, okay, this race is 2,750 miles. The fastest time now is just under 14 days. So then I start like doing calculations of averages. You have to ride 200 miles a day for 14 days in a row. I'm like, then I'm like, well, can I do that? like, well, maybe I can, you know, so then I can get the overall record. Uh, I mean, nobody wins any race by accident. It's like, you're always doing everything you can to win. But then when it becomes, comes into a self-supported ultra distance race, that's like, you have to take care of all your own needs. And then I, I realized like during a long ride to get to my first tour divide, I realized what I really have to do is just economize time. I have to just stay on my bike all the time because like your average moving speed is going to be like 10 miles an hour. So slow. So it's like, well, if you get off your bike for half an hour to eat a meal, that's half an hour you miss that goes into your overall average. So then I started obsessing over not taking breaks, not spending time off the bike moving forward. I mean, this includes some sleep deprivation, but you have to sleep. That's just something like you physically have to do, but you don't have to stop to eat. You can eat while you ride. You can do a lot of things while you ride. Uh, you can be a more efficient packer. You can know where your kid is, you know, stuff like that. I mean, along the way, things are going to come up that take time, but it's really that kind of focus on saving time. So then I'm like, men versus women, just because a woman hasn't won doesn't mean that she can't. Or, I mean, and there were also like so much smaller of the field. It's like, like in Kyrgyzstan, how many women were there? Like six out of 200, something like that. I mean, it's like, you know, that's, we're not well represented. So yeah, a woman's probably not gonna win, but not because she doesn't have the ability, it's just because there aren't the numbers. So then I'm like, well, if I could do it, other women can do it. And then I'm seeing other women having success, other women outright winning races, long distance races. So I think, uh, you know, part of, winning to win you have to believe you could win in the first place it's not just going to happen and then it's like accepting the sacrifices along the way you know can i keep going and for me like the fortunate thing is yeah i have low moments where it's like super painful or i feel horrible but for the most part i actually feel pretty good i actually want to be riding i'm like that's what i love mm -hmm. to do and i get to do it and then the hour that's horrible it's like okay just Sometimes I just like look at the clock. I'm like, I'll check again in an hour, see how I feel then. And by that point, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> like it wasn't the end of the world. You know, it's like terrible knee pain or my hands hurt or my feet hurt or I'm tired or, you know, there's, there's all these things. But if you just kind of have a little patience, you can overcome those too. What else am I going to do? Just sit on the side of the road <laughs> and cry about it? <laughs> you get yourself out there far enough. You yeah, just gotta finish. You know, I can't like call an Uber. <laughs> Actually, you probably could. <laughs> no, no, I've I've had an in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. You can't call an Uber when you're out there. <laughs> there aren't any. I've tried it. 
well, another thing that uh, somebody was curious about is do you get the race post race blues or depression after a big event? Like, mm. how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's really tough because I feel like, especially with sleep deprivation, the recovery is horrible. My mind's really messed up. I'm like an eating machine. I'm like a zombie and then I eat a big meal and then I have a ton of energy for like five minutes and then I'm back down. And then I just want to go do stuff. Like I want to go be outside. I want to be active, but my body's just like not ready for it. But that's only like a week or two, you know. I mean, this is not healthy. <laughs> but it's just part of it, you know. It's like a but that's the other thing is like I won't do too many races in a year because it's so hard on on my body, you know, maybe 3 at the most. And then otherwise there are so many other fun things to do, you know, trips or girls programs or guiding. So it's like, well, why beat a dead horse? I'm the dead horse. <laughs> Really though, you know, it's like, so yeah, I can, it's tough. Recovery is tough, but you know, then you start having new ideas and you pursue those and maybe they're not race focused. I don't think I'd continue doing this if I wasn't enjoying it. You just, your results won't be there either. You won't do well if your heart's not in it. Yeah. It's, it's too demanding. I think that's definitely a really good point of how much of this is like your, the, the mental game oh, yeah. of it like your head's got to be in it your heart's got to be in it um especially for those super long adventures that you're doing so i think sure. it's mostly mental it's like you have to have the desire to do it and then it's like well can your body keep up you know it's like well you know you have joints you have physical limitations i have trouble breathing often but it's like can you deal with kind of the sacrifice mentally and then just drag your body along Anyway, I have a question uh, kind of related to all this. So, Rue, as you are uh, creating these stories, I don't know how much you all collaborate on that. That would be an interesting process to understand. But, but I feel like right now, like I love seeing the Alaska Grit video because right now we need inspiration and we need great stories. Um, so how do you think about um, like telling the story and how do you all collaborate in it? How do you like, do you come back and say, I want this to be inspirational or I would just want this to tell the story. Kind of give us a little insight. Sure. Um, so I had shot the Anchorage Brit video and it's first year for the newspaper. Cause I just thought it was, it was the first year happening. What a cool thing. How's this going to work out? Nobody knew and did that for the newspaper. And, um, We've been going back to Alaska every year to do the program. And so I shot some footage and some stills in 2018, just because I was there. And for 2019, Pearl Izumi um, had asked if they could host the video. So they wanted to share the story of grit and to have a budget behind it. So a budget that would just, well, you know, how much time is it going to take? It's six weeks of shooting and then something that would help us um, continue our lifestyle where Lil and I don't have to work at a restaurant like mm -hmm. when, like we did when we first moved to Tucson. Um, so this was kind of just pearls of me seeing the value of a story. And basically, I, I was just like a bystander. You know, I think I was acting in some kind of mentor capacity, but just observing stuff as it happened and letting it, letting it go and then doing interviews. And for collaboration, I think really 
Will and I would just watch all the footage later and just see what kind of connected what felt right. Um, mm -hmm. But for other projects, I don't know. I think the really cool thing about video and kind of the daunting thing of video is that you have this blank canvas and you could tell like this, like you have all the shots, you could tell the story like 10 different ways depending on how you just how you use that footage, like the pacing, the narration, everything like that. But at first, it's just like painstaking. You have to organize all the footage, back it all up, transcribe all the interviews, and then kind of arrange it. And I told Lyle, it kind of felt like, like doing a puzzle. Like you get a big puzzle, and first you're flipping over all the pieces and then trying to find the corner edges. And like once you kind of get in that process, and Lyle's looking at, you know, more of a complete video then stuff just starts clicking in like you're at the last five minutes and just pushing it in but the collaboration i think Layla has just been super supportive and i mean she's doing all this incredible stuff and i just feel very fortunate that she trusts me to tell her story and to to share the story i mean ultimately you want to inspire others to do something similar and we've gotten right. so much positive feedback a lot of personal messages um that you know, somebody will see Lail riding the Great Divide mountain bike route and say, you know, I could never ride 2,700 miles, but I went for a 15 mile ride today, like in the rain, and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't yeah, watch so that. Cool. So, I mean, ultimately, I think she really trusts me and we've developed really good relationships with sponsors and companies that trust us and really just want to share your story. Or yeah. the projects we're involved with. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool for me to see that. It's inspiring that people want to take on challenges. And I think they want to do it because they learn things about themselves. They learn things about the natural world. They have like, it's exciting, you know, but that's, that's refreshing. It's like people don't want to just like sit around inside and only live in comfort and are bored. And they want it. They want like something invigorating, even if that has like downsides to it. Yeah. It's going to be uncomfortable, but you know, 12 year old girls want to do that. Everybody wants to do that on, in some capacity. I'm not saying they should not sleep and ride 200 miles and just saying, just get out there, feel something different and then see where that leads because that'll trigger new ideas and then you'll pursue new dreams. Um, so then to have Ruth share that in the way she does it, it's like, I have nothing to do with that. No way. Like I do not have any of those skills. I can't even take a photo with my phone. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. you know, so to have her share that and then like for me to watch it, it's like this beautiful landscapes. And then I'm like, well, I want to be back out there. And I actually experienced it the first time. <laughs> so that's been super cool. That's um, awesome. We're really fortunate to do this, you know, and Pearl Zumi was the first brand that really kind of gave us the, uh, the freedom to do it. We were like, okay share a story. What do you want it to be about? What's your budget? How are you going to do this? And so then we built it out. And the first one we did was um, in Switzerland in 2018. Um, and that was really fun. You know, neither of us had been to Switzerland. We get to go there and like have this whole kind of adventure unfold, make all these friends, do all these things. And then at the end, produce a video and, and share that. So uh, since then, we've been able to kind of incorporate other brands into it too. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's always about the the project or the event first, never the media first. No, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that could be a mistake sometimes. People are just like, all right, what do we make a video about? 
but it, it's not that. It's no, like, it's have, do something that's really passionate and the story's there. You just right. need to document it. I was just thinking too about your your Alaska scholarship. Like there are three winners, but Lil had made the scholarship where people basically had to make their own plan. Like, all right, when can you do this? How can you do this? Your budget and your plan. And the woman that didn't get the scholarship, I think there's still at least a dozen that still went there out were and like did it. There were like 30 or 40 of them that yeah. just went and did their own adventure ride. They're like, I have a bike. I could just do this anyway. I already budgeted the time like I was going to win. So then, uh, so then they did. And then they're all running into each other on the road, like sending me photos of them, like taking selfies with each other with their touring setups. Like, this is so cool. I wasn't even in Alaska then. It was the best. So I get, that led me to a, another question I thought of, uh, because I do think a lot of people actually are probably kind of stuck at home and dreaming about adventures and yeah. thinking about what they they want to dream of after this is over and like what advice do you have if somebody's like well I'm definitely not gonna you know go to Switzerland and ride right. uh, all around or ride the tour divide but I'd want to have an adventure like how how can they get started what can they do now to have a plan when they come out of this yeah I mean you know a great place to start is just making a route from home like maybe just doing an overnight riding somewhere spending the night and then riding back uh, and then it's like, well, where do you want to go? Where do you want to sleep? How can you get there? You know, and then you start looking at routing options or you use routing apps like Kamut. You're like, all right, I'm starting here. I'm ending there. And then you start tracing the line of like, where does that take me? Maybe I've ridden those paths before. Maybe I haven't. And that's an easy place to start. Um, I mean, right now it's like, well, are you supposed to sleep outside or not? I don't know. They're, they're kind of, there's a lot of advice coming from like the bikepacking community that it's like, well, don't go to small towns because you don't want to stress their resources. But I feel like if you just left from home and you were fully self-contained, like you brought everything mm -hmm. you needed, spent the night out somewhere and then just rode back, I, I don't see a problem in that. Maybe you don't make it a big, you know, technical trip. With yeah, don't do gear. something that yeah. you're really like, that's far reaching. Don't ride a really technical trail don't bring like a bunch of stuff that you don't know that doesn't work. Pack a sandwich, bring enough water, something to sleep in. And then it's like, well, worst comes to worst. You could just wake up in the night and ride home, bring lights. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that would, that would be fun. And that maybe would like be a hopeful thing to do right now. I know so much is kind of shut down that it's a lot of people feel despair and I do too at times. But then you just have to kind of focus on the things you can do. Yeah. What do, you do right now? Well, maybe I could do this. Yeah, Lil and I went on this just, uh, it's pretty simple, 36 mile, like single track mountain bike ride yesterday. And then we got this idea. It's, it's right along this ridge line in Tucson or north of Tucson. And we're just like, whoa, what if we saw the sunrise at this peak right now? And then we're like, well, we probably have to get up like at 3 a.m. and drive there and bike up to get there at sunrise in time but we're like well what if we just camp by this bench at sunset the night before and then you know be there for the sunrise yeah so like we're even thinking about little mini you know things you could do right right yeah. 18 miles set up a tent be there for sunset and sunrise just make it smaller this is just right that's well, what the time calls for I yeah suppose. and those are yeah. the most beautiful moments of the day which so i don't you get yeah. to see both we would not be thinking about that if this was not going on. Right yeah, we yeah. could do anything else, but yeah. still 
Well, it's been an absolute blast having you guys on. Um, it's good to hear, you know, some of the insight to how the inspiration and the stories get told. And um, <clears throat> I love the suggestions for some mini adventures, getting yourself set up for after COVID-19. Um, I, I, I mean, we could talk forever, but I think we, <laughs> we, we got to wrap it up. But um, I'm so glad both you, um, Lael, and, and you, Rue, have come on and joined us for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Great talking with you. The Girls Gone Gravel podcast is a production of Live Feisty Media. Subscribe, like, and comment on your listing platform. Our producer is Taylor Mayhem Rudolph. You can follow us on all of the socials at Girls Gone Gravel or visit our website at girlsgonegravel.com.